Okay, let's see if I can remember how to do this. <clears throat> okay, okay, here we go, here we go. Hello, and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan, and thanks for listening in. Hopefully, The Point of Everything is still in your podcast feeds, and you saw there was a new episode, and you were like, what's going on? I thought The Point of Everything had finished. Well, I thought it kind of had as well. It's been on hiatus for 2022, apart from one episode previewing the choice prize that I had to do with John Barker. But yeah, I had put the podcast on ice. I felt like I was a little bit zoomed out over the past two years, kind of going nonstop throughout lockdown, interviewing acts over Zoom. And I felt like it was taking up a lot of my time. I don't know if anybody has done a podcast, but there's a lot involved, like, from the idea from the you know initial emails of trying to set up a chat and then doing the research doing the interview editing it together yada 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 uh it was taking up a lot of my time so i felt like i needed to pull back a little bit and i also wanted to see would i actually miss doing the podcast had it just run its course and you know i needed to move on but i kind of didn't miss it for maybe even the first six months of the year, but then I started getting an itch over summer. Maybe it's just the fact that I've been going to music festivals again, talking to music fans again, watching like so many great acts. And I just realized I love talking about music with people. I love talking to musicians about their music as well. So here we are. I was thinking, what do people want from a music podcast in 2022? There's so many out there. There's huge ones on a much bigger budget and scale than mine talking to the biggest acts in the world. I mean, look at Zane Lowe. I can't compete with Zane Lowe. So I was thinking, do people still want interviews? Hopefully you do. And there are some in the pipeline. I missed out on a lot of acts that I wanted to interview in the first half of the year. So catching up on them, there was a lot of great music released. And so it was great delving back into that and talking to bands about their music. I wanted to make it more magazine-y as well as interviews. How can you kind of split it up so that maybe your attention isn't drifting over the course of, say, a 45-minute chat? Maybe it doesn't drift. Maybe maybe I'm completely wrong in what I wanted to do. But I wanted to keep it more fun for myself as well. So coming up on this episode, this initial foray into TPOE podcast like 2.0, uh, we're going to talk... A couple of lists, we're going to talk to a couple of journals, and we're going to hear some brand new music from brand new artists. First up, we have freelance journalist Lauren Murphy talking about a list that she put together for the Sunday Times over the weekend, Irish albums that deserve a repeat play. Lauren picks the 10 recordings of the 21st century by acts here that miss the big time yet have to be heard. Then we're going to hear from Ronan Leonard, a friend from Cork, who's a big Arab Strap fan. I went to see them not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the past week in Cork, Limerick, Dublin, Dublin. So I asked him to talk about the strap for me. I don't know if anybody else calls them the strap. I've decided to call them the strap. I don't really know anything about them, but yeah, we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk to another friend from Cork, Podio Manny, who I grew up with. And we just talked about all of the music that came out between like 2003 you know, through 2008. We consumed a lot of it. We loved a lot of it. Made fun of each other for a lot of it. But there was a thread on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it. Worst band of the noughties. 
It's a very long list. So uh, Potty was the first person that I thought, like, I have to talk to him about all of the bands that are listed here. Are they the worst bands of the noughties? Does this list make sense? So that's coming up. And then we're going to take a listen to new music from Jack Dora, Costa and Dog Day Afternoon, who also recorded introductions to all of the tracks. So that's going to be at the end of the show. And first up, it's Lauren Murphy, a great freelance journalist who put a list together of the best underrated Irish albums. This is just a chat over Zoom, still still using Zoom, you know, I can't, I can't get too far away from it. Uh, she put this together and I really enjoyed it. I love delving back into the annals of Irish music history in particular and seeing like, why doesn't something work? Why have people forgotten about this band? And being reminded of bands that I have forgotten in the first place as well, or who I may never have listened to in the first place. So I'll give you the full list because we go through it in, we kind of go through each one, but there are a couple that I don't mention and I don't know, would they have a claim to be the most underrated because we didn't get to them? Wasn't any, any sort of thing. We had a tight like 15, 20 minute window that we had to hit. And we hit it. So the full list by Lauren Murphy of the 21st century Irish albums that have been overlooked and underappreciated. Kathy Davy, Something Ilk from 2004. It's her debut album. A lot of people might know her second album, Tales of Silver Sleeve. Something Ilk is her debut album. Brian Deedy, Nonfiction from 2016. Tim Wheeler, Lost Domain from 2014. Cahill Coughlin, The Sky's Awful Blue from 2002. Hal, with their self-titled album Hal in 2005. Landlovers with Confidence in 2011. Confidence, C-O-N-F-I-D-A-N-T-S. Mumble and Defro with Dictionary Crimes. Mumble and Defro is Ronan Hessian, who has gone on to be a widely acclaimed author of Leonard and Hungry Paul and Penenka, who I would highly recommend checking out his books. And Katie Kim released Salt in 2016, and David Garrity from Bell X1, who released Kill Your Darlings in 2007. Here is Lauren Murphy on The Point of Everything, talking about most of these albums and artists. Take a look at those guys When they play the hits on the radio Pretty young girls When they shake their hips On a television show Delighted to have 
Lauren Murphy uh, on the podcast talking about her feature in the Sunday Times at the weekend, Irish albums that deserve uh, repeat play. Lauren, uh, thanks for uh, hopping on the podcast there. Um, You say in the introduction to your piece that you're leaving nostalgia at the door and here are 21st century Irish albums that have been overlooked and underappreciated. If you were to have brought nostalgia with you, would it have been a completely different list? Were you able to be like completely objective about it? Yeah, I don't think anybody can ever be completely objective about music, even if you're a journal. But um, I know, you know, everybody is probably guilty of that with albums that they've spent a lot of time or, or albums that came out at a meaningful time of their life or maybe just albums that have been around for ages and have kind of become a fixture in your life or whatever. Nostalgia always plays a role, you know, um, and I suppose the problem is separating that from albums that deserve a place on lists like these for for whatever reasons, standalone reasons. So as much as I was trying to be objective about it and separate personal feelings from the whole thing, um, as impossible as that can be to do, I tried my best. And, you know, like basically what, what I put it down to was basically the album, the soundtrack, the best summer of your twenties doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best album of all time, you know? So, <laughs> so I did that and um, I did go back and I, I listened to a lot of albums that I hadn't heard in, in years and you know yourself, like within a few minutes of listening to old albums you haven't heard in ages, you kind of go, you know, well, you know, within the first few minutes, whether they've stood the test of time or not, and they, they've aged well. But yeah, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. I'll say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so what were the criteria? And like you're talking about the albums that you went back to, like any honourable mentions that were unlucky to miss out on the list? Um, The criteria, like there wasn't, like I didn't really impose any strict criteria and, and in fairness to my editor at Sunday Times, John Burns, he's really good about leaving it to your own devices as long as you have kind of proven yourself somewhat trustworthy, which I hope at this point I am somewhat trustworthy in terms of my taste and stuff. So I guess all I wanted to do was, I guess it was the albums that for whatever reason didn't get the plaudits they deserved when they were released or since they've been released or both. So it was basically what I felt was just really brilliant albums on their own terms that have aged well and really deserve to be heard by more people because they weren't the first time around. So it was kind of as simple as that. There was no huge science to it. Um, and in terms of the long list, I think there was maybe 27, 28. I don't think there was 30, but there was close to 30 on uh, honourable mentions. I kind of um, bit low to do this because I don't want to be like, and you nearly got in, but you didn't. Like I had albums like the Chalet's check in on there, for example, and I still think that's a brilliant underrated album, probably. But it did pretty well at the time, you know, like they were a reasonably well known band and they did kind of well in the UK. And so as much as I wanted to put it on, it didn't really maybe it wasn't as right for this particular list. And the same goes for, you know, albums like Oh Emperor's first album, Cashier Number Nine's first album. They all did pretty well. So maybe just because they're not necessarily talked about as much doesn't mean that they were right for this list. But one album, I will say it was number 11 and I tortured myself whether to put it on or not. But if I was doing the top 20, it would definitely be in there. Um, Kappa Cap's debut album, Haunted Light. That is such a great album. And you can still listen to it on Bandcamp. Um, and I listened back to it and it was just, it's so, so good. It was so ahead of its time, but it was just edged out um, on albums like, you know, directors we drive on big cities that almost made the cut too so um there was there was a few albums like that and then there was albums that I remember loving and I wanted to go back and, and listen to and I couldn't find them online like there's a there's a few albums like that that I probably have in well I know I have physical copies of them they're probably in my parents attic or something like that but Patrick Kelleher and his cold dead hands um 
golden syrup and eight balls for first album. So let, let this be a lesson, lads. Get your music up online on Bandcamp or wherever, because there's always someone trying to find it and listen. So them that, is the breaks. That's the thing with Irish music, I think, is that like there's that period from like 99 to 2005 or something like pre all of the music going mm. onto the Internet. And there's so much music that's like lost lost to time yeah. sort of thing isn't there yeah there's just kind of yeah like you said it falls between kind of spotify and all these streaming services um and it's such a shame because there are some brilliant albums released around that time and they're not online in any form and you can't even you know not that i'd be condoning such measures but you can't even pirate them i don't even know if pirate is is, is as big a thing as it used to be anymore but they're not online for whatever reason and it's a shame because you know even i'm not saying spotify and there's problems with spotify and stuff like that for artists but Put, put them on bank up, just put them up online somewhere. Think of the fans from 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Such um, a shame. So you uh, you gave us some honourable mentions there, but let's uh, talk through some of the artists on the list. Uh, the very first one is uh, Kathy Davy, uh, Something Ilk from mm. 2004. Like A lot of people will know Kathy Davy for Tale- Tales of Silver Sleeve, which was nominated for the Choice Prize. But even this, straight off the bat, like it's it's one of those albums I hadn't even uh, listened to before. Like, Do you think she's one of the most underrated artists in the country? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? I think a lot of people think Tales of Sil- Silver Sleeve maybe is her debut because it just did so well. Um, and that's still my favourite Kathy Davy album by far. I just love that album so much. But uh, she definitely is underrated and also underestimated. I think it's it's still so baffling to me that she wasn't a superstar or at least, you know, bigger in, in places like the UK and Europe. She's such a brilliant songwriter. And I think you could hear that even on something else. It was a bit more, maybe a bit more raw, a bit more ragged, um, even though it was released on a major label. She was signed to EMI back then. And she she doesn't um, hold it very high in her own estimation either. I think she kind of felt like she was pulled along by the producers and the label a little bit and and forced into places she maybe didn't want to go with this album musically but it's to me it's it's such a still holds up it's such a great album I remember hearing it for the first time I was working in Virgin Megastore at the time and I just hear, heard that song clean and neat and I just loved it from the first time I heard it and I think she still actually might play that song live um, which is great but it's such the whole album is full of gems uh, I just love her as a musician and I wish she made more music but you know she's off doing more honorable things like saving animals which is fair enough too. <laughs> uh, did it actually just going on what you said there does it kind of make you sad a little bit putting this list together just thinking like oh why wasn't this artist bigger like do you almost get uh, annoyed at like I don't know the industry everything about it like kind why didn't of, it work? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like even journalists, are, we're all human, like, you know, like we have our favorites and we wish that people did were more successful for for various reasons. And because we think they're brilliant and I think she's brilliant and I would have loved her to be heard by more people. That's all it comes down to. Basically, you have a favorite artist and you want to share them with everybody. Um, and when they don't fulfill their potential, not that I'm saying she didn't fulfill her potential, like I'm sure she's very happy doing what she's doing now and it's all you know circumstantial but you know I I I don't get why she she wasn't bigger and the same like there's loads of yeah like you said there's loads of other artists on this list that I wish were bigger but it just didn't happen for them but sure what can you do yeah Brian Deedee is another one his album to mm. uh non-fiction from 2016 you say the it was kind of like a record label thing that kind of missed the boat I mean he's got you know, over a million plays on some of the tracks on this uh, album on Spotify, but you still kind of feel like he could have been a lot bigger. 
Definitely. And it kind of felt like it was going that way for a while. I mean, he released this album, Nonfiction, which was his second album himself. And I remember interviewing him for the Sunday Times around that time. And I went into Cork and he said that he was literally, you know, getting the album into Golden Discs, like driving around himself in his car to Golden Disc stores around Ireland to stock the album. And um, he was doing his own promo, his own PR. And it really felt like it was such a great album. I wish that he, he just had like the machinations of a, a label behind him to help him get it, get his songs out there. And it kind of felt like it was happening then because he had a big hit with Clap Out My Hands on radio and he was signed to Decca Records then who re-released the album here and who basically from what I've, I've I've interviewed him a few times over the years, they basically gave him this narrative, you know, playing the long game, growing his career in Europe, pushing that song to radio in the UK and Holland and for whatever reason it just didn't catch fire and then I think they tried it with another single and that didn't happen either for whatever reason and I get the feeling that they kind of didn't know what to do with him and as he said himself then red flags started to appear that things weren't working out and I think it all you know collapsed pretty quickly and the dream kind of the major label dream at least ended for him then and so obviously that was very disappointing because he's a brilliant musician with loads to say, and he subsequently released brilliant albums. I think he's had three albums or four even maybe since then. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's a pity that he didn't get the push he needed to take it to that next step, I suppose. And and then like another um, solo act that you have on the list is Tim Wheeler, uh, whose solo album Last Domain came out in 2014. Why, why didn't this one hit? Yeah, I, I mean, like, First of all, I was surprised a few years ago to learn that there's people out there that think that Ash are a bit of a naff band. Like, oh really? <laughs> yeah, I don't get. It. I I like. I think Ash are a great band, and I always, I always have really liked them ever since 1977 came out. But maybe it's the flying V guitars did them no favors. But yeah, I I I think Tim Wheeler has always been a great pop songwriter and a great writer of these, not just pop actually, but like. Oh, like song or yeah, songs like There's a Star from Free All Angels, these big sweeping orchestral um, songs. He's just a really good songwriter. But what I loved about the solo album was that we really saw this other, you know, really raw sort of vulnerable side to his songwriting where he was basically writing songs about losing his dad to dementia and his dad dying. And it was so um, it was like really sad songs in a sort of poppy uh, framework I guess he just showed what a great songwriter he was and that album is so moving but it's also really brilliant melodically as well um, but nobody really seems to talk about it uh, everybody talks about Ash's brilliant discography in fairness but uh, this is one that they Ash fans and even if you're not a fan of Ash should definitely check out because it's such a great kind of forgotten album I suppose yeah, I guess it's just that thing of like, once you kind of leave the band, once you leave the name behind, will people still pay attention? And for for whatever reason, like this just didn't hit. Like, I think mm. like when I listened to it this weekend after reading your list, I think that was the first time uh, that I had actually pressed play on it. And it actually sounds really, really good. Like mm. it's a good story behind it as well, which you explain in the piece. Yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. Um, but you like Ash aren't enough, right? Do you think Ash are enough? No, I was a big fan, but like I was probably the right age. I I like came of age with Ash uh, in the time of the Flying V guitar as well, okay. like on that 2004 album. So yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan, and yeah, yeah, you go back like their greatest hits stack up to any band in the world as far as I'm brilliant. concerned. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, 
uh, I just think they're great. So boo to people that don't appreciate their genius. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I guess, I guess, I mean, talking about genius, Cahill Coughlin, the late Cahill Coughlin, who uh, sadly passed away this year, you've got him in here as well. Like, I mean, mm. people would talk really glowingly about his his whole career like stretching back to when he was in the bands in the 80s and all of the most recent stuff that he did even with Telefiche but you say the sky's awful blue from 2002 didn't uh quite hit why why did you put this on the list um well I guess it's maybe it, it hit at the time like I was still in my teens when this album came out so I I came to this album late so maybe it was appreciated at the time but it doesn't seem to have got the the kudos it deserves over the years. I suppose people obviously talk about his work with Micro Disney and Fatima Mansions and rightly so. But it's a weird one because I never grew up listening to those bands. I came to them a lot later. I, got, I think I got the best of in my early 20s. I can't remember even what it was called, but it had a kind of painted cover. And um, so that was my first exposure to them. But yeah, he's such a huge loss. And I don't think people of a certain generation, definitely mine, like I'm in my 30s now, uh, realize how great a songwriter he was or how revered he was amongst his peers and listening back to the skies off of blue it's just an unbelievable album like his lyrics are like poetry his voice is just so textured and so gorgeous and commanding and this kind of avant-garde um, musical style that he was tying with at the time it ju just all combined for this superb piece of work he just like he's like he's up there with you know Nick Cave and Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen it was such a, a huge loss and there there's bound to be a, some sort of reappraisal re of his work in in future years I'd say yeah there's so, there's so much to discover there mm. as well with him like even even this this album like going back and listening to it is uh is really nice to do but um a band who like I I might have been in the back of my head but like I've, I've just never really thought about them I think that they were just that little bit before I started properly paying attention to mm. like music being made in Ireland or something it's Hal uh with their uh self-titled album from 2005 like I mean t tell me everything about Hal they were signed to Rough Trade and everything everything seemed to be set up for them whatever happened to them yeah yeah it's it's yeah it's a strange one because like you said they were assigned to rough trade i think a, a few grumpy old lads probably dismissed them as birds wannabes but they had some absolutely brilliant songs um and you know again this is one that i was a bit hesitant to put on the list because you're saying like obviously you've never heard well you've heard of them but you're not familiar with them but they were reasonably big at the time I mean they they this album did well I, I think it broke some sort of sales record I think they were nominated for a meteor award at one point but it's kind of I guess faded into obscurity a little bit since um and uh, my theory is that um I think they're probably just a little bit too much like the trills doing that sort of 70s west coast vibe thing in it probably a less poppy or radio friendly way as the trills were and the trills were signed to a major as well um, and we're probably a bit more marketable, but the, Hal had some absolutely brilliant songs on this album. Play the hits, What a Lovely Dance, Worry About the Wind. It's an album that stood the test of time, without a doubt. And even um, talking about the, the Sunday Times feature, a few people have said to me in, in person and on Twitter and, and places like that, that they completely forgot about Hal and they've gone back and listened to the album since. And it's it still stands up. So, yeah, it's a shame. Like I think they actually released an album not that long ago, maybe five or six or seven years ago, they had a second album. Um, cannot tell you what it's called, but this debut one is is still great. So they have that in there as their legacy, at least. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, uh, the 20th anniversary isn't that far away. Maybe they'll get back together for it. Maybe this will be God. the impetus for them to to get back together. Yeah, God, that's scary thinking that that'll, that makes me feel really old, actually. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's not that's not what this list is about. Um, OK, la- last question is about uh, Katie Kim and her 2016 album Salt. I feel like so many people kind of talk about her in such revered tones like oh you've got to listen to this album she's such a special artist there's so many of them like down through the years even I, th- I think of Katie Kim and Vanessa Francis mm. kind of in kind of the the same kind of lines of music making is it is it just kind of like it's just too lo-fi or experimental to really make a big splash and to like uh I don't know to exceed expectations I feel like Katie Kim in a way does kind of exceed expectations she's such a word of mouth kind of artist isn't she yeah she definitely is and that's the thing like I like you know, I, I think she probably is too experimental to make a big, well, big splash in terms of, you know, commercial success. But she definitely has the talent to to go further with her music elsewhere. I think she she was in Canada for a while. I'm not sure if she's back now, but either way, I know she is revered, like you said. And I don't think the fact that she is not going to have a number one album, you know, I don't know if that's going to bother her that much. I've met her a few times as well as being really sound. She kind of just knows exactly what she's doing and where she's going with her music. So, yeah, I don't think that will change anything as long as she makes, um, keeps making albums like Salt. That's that's fine by me. I think it's just like loads of her previous um, stuff. Like, I, I think don't think she's made a bad album, but Salt just she like, I think I said it, it brought her sound into sharper focus. It just condensed everything that she did really, really well. And it just hit the spot uh, for me. So that's why I put it on the list. But she's got a new album coming out as well. So I think in the next month or so. So maybe she will. Maybe she'll um, prove us both wrong and she will have that number one album. <laughs> you never well- know. Yeah, well, look, it was great going back to re-listen to Salt and uh, re-listening and discovering uh, all of the albums on this list. So uh, thanks for putting it together and thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast to talk about it today. No problem, Owen. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Lauren for coming on the podcast and talking through that list. All of those albums are available on Spotify. I put them all together in a playlist uh, over the weekend and listened to all of them. And yeah, like I said, I think they're really, really good. That Tim Wheeler album in particular really stood out. If I could add another band to the list, possibly the most underrated because it's impossible to find their music online, is Berkeley. Uh, Tommy McLaughlin, who was in Villagers, plays with Soak, now records all of the best Irish bands. Uh, this was his band in like the early noughties. I thought they were so good. Kind of like Biff, early Biffy Clyro, good Biffy Clyro, first three albums Biffy Clyro, really odd, shouty rock music. Loved them. Loved them so much. So add Berkeley to your list as well, but you can't find that on Spotify. So I don't know what you're going to do about it. Okay, next up, we have Ronan Leonard talking about Arab Strap. Ronan does a really, really good job introducing the piece. I just asked him to talk about the Strap. Why does he love them? Why does he think they're the best band in the world? And why did he go see them four times in maybe four days, five days, last weekend? So here is Ronan Leonard on the point of everything talking about Arab Strap. 
Hey, Ronan here. This is take five of the thing we're trying. I know how I want to end this, but I don't know how to start it. So, okay, brief biographical detail. I am, uh, I work in the entertainment sphere of things. I also am a tour guide and I do some media work, um, but mainly around Cork, but, you know, around Ireland to a degree as well. And I am a musician. I make a lot of music and I write a lot of songs. You're probably thinking to yourself, why have we not um, heard you so? Um, surely you'd have seven albums out by now or whatever. And do you know what? Mainly, in truth, it's because I imagine things I'd like to achieve musically with an idea and I, I go for it. And I ne I rarely hit the levels that the people I really admire have hit. And I think there's enough, there's enough of, uh, I, I'm sitting on greatness, I'll, I'll tell you that. But the band that have inspired me so much are Arab Strap. They're just, for me, they're the, just, they're brilliant. Now, everyone has their own favourite band. I'm not here I it's I, I I come neither here to praise nor to bury them. I'm just saying for me, there's a band that just ticks every box that I like as a fan and as a creator of music. You know, I aim for that. It's not about trying to copy it, but you know they're the standards and they're just brilliant. Uh, so I I missed their first shows in Ireland. I wasn't aware of them. Um, I got into music from Tony Fenton's Hotline, then into Oasis. And then from Oasis, I got into the music library in Cork and started borrowing the Beatles and a young fellow called Bob Dylan. And then this NME magazine. And, you know, like a lot of people uh, just learned what the NME said and they became my opinions and there was free compilation CDs. And then 1998, there was a second CD. They did the best of 1998. And it was all the, you know, it was all the Brit poppy stuff that you'd know. And then the next week they did a sort of, but this is what we also think you should look at from 1998. And the only band I knew of on that CD going into the listening of it was uh, Mercury Rev. This compilation CD was the first time I ever heard uh, God's Beady Black Emperor. Boards of Canada, Jurassic 5 and Arab Strap. And even while I listened to that for the very first time, I couldn't decide if I really liked this Arab Strap song. But it was like this. This is something interesting. It was like, you know, the first time I'm not saying Arab Strap are exactly the same as uh, Mumblecore movies with that sort of, you know, realism. But, you know, they're in the same they're in the same conversation. And the first time you see a movie like that, you're like, this this is strange. I can't say I don't like this, but I can't say I love it. But and over time, uh, the next few weeks, I tried to get more Arabstrap records and um, there wasn't as many then as there is now. And I have over the years collected literally everything they have ever released, uh, bar one demo tape I can't find. Anyway, I grew to love them. I really like them, which is another way of saying love, isn't it? And I managed to see a couple of shows by them when they were just touring before they went on a hiatus. 
And then I went to their farewell shows. Uh, little side note, I recorded some of that stuff on video and it, it, it went whatever indie rock viral is on YouTube. And it was ended, that footage ended up being used in a film Aidan Moffat was making a good few years later, which led to me getting to know Aidan to a degree. And then Malcolm, who's the other half of Arab Strap, I've ended up playing gigs with him over the years and um, I, I brought him over to Cork. Um, I can't remember. Let's say 2005 and the uh, TPOE fact checkers can uh, fix that in the edit. So I got to know them. Um, we wouldn't be. Uh, we wouldn't be in a WhatsApp group or anything, but like, you know, know, know each other. So seeing those farewell gigs felt like I had got to the end of it. But then they actually did reform after years of saying, no, definitely, we're definitely not going to be doing that. And so I see, I saw a load of those re- reformation shows, if you will. Now, there was no uh, religious undertakings uh, when I say reformation, just reforming. But they were strange ones because it was just like there was a joyous like in the Barrowlands in um, Glasgow, like, oh, did you ever think we'd see the day? Um, and then I saw them again last year um, at a festival I was performing at, and I saw them for two or three more dates of that tour. But over the last five days, they've been playing Cork, Limerick and Dublin. Oh, yeah, and Belfast beforehand. And I was just like, obviously... I have to go to all those shows. And even now I'm slightly disappointed because I only went to four of them. So, yeah, I got to see my favourite band in some of my favourite venues in in every way you can see them. So, like, on Friday, I went with some of my friends that I've been listening to that music with for, like, 20 years. And I stood, you know, halfway between the sound desk and the stage face on. Um, and then saw them in Limerick. Uh, shout out to Windings, who was the support in Limerick. And then got to see Jinx Lennon afterwards in pharmacy. It was possibly my personally best day of live music <laughs> ever. Um, saw them in Dolan's, stood right at the back uh, in the corner. Uh, side note, going to see bands from the 90s is great when you're in your 40s because there's no young people and you can convince yourself that you're you're skewing the average age down um and then they were in Whelan's on sunday and yesterday which is monday uh so yeah, i saw all the shows i i well obviously i knew i knew all the songs but it was it was great just yeah nostalgia nodding heads with people that I possibly haven't seen in 10 or 15 years. And at least four people came up to me going, um, oh, yeah, you you told me about this band and I've started listening to them and now I'm here. And I was like, that's great. Should have charged commission. But um, it, you know, being a music enthusiast and a music fan, it's probably almost like being like a sports scout when something you raved about pays off, uh, it's just a great feeling. Um, and not, not just in an ego way, but in a, this is why I love music. 
Uh, I am aware I'm not really talking about the music of Arab Strap, but look, if if you're listening to this podcast, you have access to the ability just to listen to their music. Look, uh, side note, maybe um, Owen might put this on Twitter or something. I won the best Arab Strap proposed best of CD uh, award on the Arab Strap old website, which is now like it's it's gone. There was a forum, if you remember, there used to be forums on websites and there was maybe 30 of us, maybe maybe as much as 50, maybe, um, of us fans, like always talking about, you know, you know things that fans talk about. Um, and we all agreed that we'd all come up with our proposed best of CD before they announced the track listing on their best of album. And... We all said we'd all get one vote and we couldn't vote for ourselves. And let's see who comes up with the best one that we think, you know, covers the dynamic of the band. And not just, you know, there'd be a strong argument that their three or four best known songs aren't really in keeping with what the band's entire catalogue is. Now, do you know what? You could say that about any band. Isn't that true? But yeah, I won with seven votes and it was very similar to what the band ended up uh, putting on their best of. So, you know, there I am, a bit of an influencer, if you will. But I, I'll put that a link to that for, up on Spotify. And over the lockdown, I started doing four to five hour live <laughs> streams of everything I have by the two of them. So I think my bona fides of liking them are, are there. Like one great thing about life is achievable goals and like it was affordable for me <laughs> to see this particular band in these venues in this country because you know tr- trains and buses are relatively cheap and I was staying in people's houses uh, it would you know if somebody is a huge fan of let's say Nick Cave uh, much more expensive undertaking um, but you know, I would like Arab Strap to be as big as Nick Cave um, I, I think they let's not I, let's not try and get into an argument about those kind of things. But yeah, um, I feel great after four days of doing what I did. I know it's not a it's not a great way to live a life, but it is a great way to spend four days. And um, I believe, yeah, this isn't this isn't a scoop, but I can tell you that they will play again in Ireland within the next uh, while yeah that's not giving away the detail and I would really recommend you get tickets go to see them okay bye thanks to Ronan Leonard for that wonderful piece about Arab Strap you can follow Ronan at Ronan from Cork on all of the social media Twitter and other social medias (laughs) He sent me another couple of um, voicemails after that initial initial 10-minute one. <laughs> he says, if you have any Arab strap-related questions or pairing suggestions to get on to him, he's suggested the award-winning, critically acclaimed Spotify playlist that he put together. You can look for that. Uh, just search Ronan Leonard or, or now that's what I call Arab strap on Spotify. And it's also in the show notes as well if you want to go listen to it. He also suggests their live album, Mad for Sadness. The new album is really good, he adds. They're writing songs about being middle-aged rather than being in your 30s again. 
And finally, Ronan says, if you happen to be in your 30s or even in your 20s, watch out. Middle age is much more fun than you think. So thanks again to Ronan for all of that. Okay, next up is Paddy O'Mahony talking about another list, the worst bands of the noughties. I basically called him up and wanted to get his reaction to the very long list of bands that are named here, some of whom we loved, some of whom we uh, disregarded or laughed off at the time, and some who we would still play today quite regularly on our Spotify rotation. So here's Paddy reacting to the worst bands of the noughties thread on Twitter recently. Okay, so this is a Twitter thread that I saw last week by a guy called Cobbler Bob underscore. 51 retweets, 251 quote tweets, which will give you uh, an indication of uh, people defending or laughing at this list or whatever, and 360 likes. So it starts out, worst bands of the noughties, a thread. Are you ready, Potty? You haven't seen this list. I just want you to, like... Listen to all of these band names. Take me back to the mid-naughties and, and we'll go from there. Your thoughts on each of the list. Are you ready? Well, I'm already against this list, considering it's called the worst band of the naughties, And they're definitely things I've listened to in the past two weeks. But go on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, like you haven't really moved on from the mid-naughties, have you? I would like to defend myself and say yes, but absolutely not. Like my Discover Weekly is probably all these bands. So first up is a band who I presume you will agree is one of the worst bands of the mid-noughties. Hard Fi? Worst! <laughs> Go on. I was going to let it hang there. Worst! <laughs> Considering, and I'm not even joking, Hard to Beat is on my Discover Weekly and I listened to it and I was literally, I think I'd started the text to you kind of going, Hey, remember Hardfly and Hard to Beat and how great that song was? Was that on your Discover Weekly? My Discover Weekly is absolutely bananas. It's like stuff from like Galway indie artists who have two songs and then like Darwin D's, who I assume is going to be on this list, and all these other mid-2000s with their biggest hits. Like, I definitely listened to that. <laughs> I will defend Hardfly. I actually will. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, scouting for Girls? absolute muck even i can't defend them and even indie and i like i like wuss piano music <laughs> absolutely but when your best song is she's so lovely she's so lovely you know you're like destined for the bin <laughs> uh the twang who i have actually been listening to in the past two weeks see i think you have a different idea of the twang than i do because you saw met partied with the twang whereas i didn't yeah I've, i was I was saying on Twitter that uh, that my most indie sleaze moment was probably going uh, drinking with the twang in the brogue after they played in Cork and hanging out with them for the night. So that that's my uh, claim to indie sleaze fame. Uh, another band who um, are on this list are uh, a band who I've been listening to in the past two weeks, Las Vegas. Do you know what? Actually, I, I dropped a line on our old college radio show, shout out, and um, <laughs> Las Vegas... They had a great song that they did 11 times for that album. 
like Geraldine and oh, what was the other massive one? There was two that were massive, but the rest of the album was literally just the same dun 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 dun, and just epics uh, like soaring stuff. Yeah, but it was kind of they ran out of ideas. The second album was just awful yeah yeah i think that like the main thing that comes to mind when i think of las vegas is that they seem to really promote that they had a woman drummer and that she stood up when she drummed they was like their usb usp like it's like look at her she can stand and play drums granted not great but she can still play them uh the hoosiers oh yes goodbye mr a i know that song (laughs) put him in the bin with scouting for girls yes 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 I feel like this is like a weird quiz. <laughs> Jet? Jet, one of our best moments ever, gotta say, where we sang the entire song on the bus on the way to college. Yeah, I think about that moment every now. I don't know if I'm really proud of that moment or really ashamed. Absolutely that we did it. not. It's probably one of the worst things we ever did. <laughs> uh, the Rakes? Uh, you've got to stand up for The Rakes. 22 Grand Job? What a tune. Uh, that that first album, Strasbourg, um, uh oh i'm trying to think of songs so i might know that first album like i would listen to that in a heartbeat and have no qualms of being like oh this is nostalgically good that was just a good post-punk indie yeah um, record i wonder if you listen to it now though would you go oh actually i don't know about that (laughs) i'd probably do it for the four songs and the rest (laughs) like the cooper temple clause oh pass (laughs) the bravery Ooh, killers of Jace and just they had that one video where they were on boats which seemed like fun but that was it <laughs> uh, brace yourself now Paulie this one's gonna hurt Creed <laughs> this, this, that seems shoehorned in they're just a bad band from 2000s with one of the best songs ever <laughs> uh, Nickelback god that's accepted yeah go on <laughs> the Fratellis yeah, this is really just like bands who had one huge song and just seemed to hang around for a while for no real reason. Even though like for Tellies, they had um, The Lonely. That was on the Harley Quinn movie. It was part of the soundtrack and in the film. And it fit really well. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, for Tellies, they existed and they <laughs> could be considered writers of good songs. That, they could be, but I wouldn't. Yeah, that that you could say that about all of the bands on the list. They existed. <laughs> they existed. In fairness to them, you gotta, you can't deny it. They did exist for a while. Uh, the View are next up, and The View are, I think their debut album might even be in my top ten favorite albums of all time. To be perfectly honest, The View were a band where I had no time for at the time, but. Looking back, I actually do think I just you know one of those bands that kind of you made your opinion on too early like no I hate them they go away but actually I listened to two or three of the songs and I was like oh yeah again you gotta love a band who are really thick accented Mm. and really lean into it and like you can't understand four or five of the words in every sentence so it's it's always an enjoyable experience yeah I think you just didn't like them because uh, I just kept saying the view the view the view are on fire and I still say that all the time that is fair, actually. I'd forgotten about that. That is probably why I absolutely hated it. And that's not their fault. Same Jeans is a great song. It's not their fault you shouted that at me before listening to that song. <laughs> oh, no. Same Jeans is awful. Uh, I will agree with that. Uh, good, good Charlotte? <laughs> see, yeah. Are we going... See, this is kind of meandering now to, like, just It's a very long list. Terrible... It's a very long list. <laughs> I bet everyone... Uh, good Charlotte, yeah. Put them in the bin. The Enemy. Not to be confused with the magazine. The Enemy. Ooh, yes, the enemy. I think I 
ironically enjoyed them because you hated them so much yeah, and they were such ill-mannered little <laughs> can i swear on your podcast yeah, you can, of course yeah yeah like they were absolute knobs they thought they were oasis incarnate and they mouthed off and like oh we've written some of the best songs and like what was their one line stay at home and watch richard and judah <laughs> and it's just like again i know you're trying to be of the moment but it just came off as so lazy and terrible <laughs> Uh, speaking of lazy and terrible, uh, Razorlight. So, <laughs> Razorlight were your band. Mm, I really like that first I have album. A feeling, uh, and I have a feeling Kasabian are somewhere down on this list as well that someone's going to bring it up. But um, it's funny because uh, we made a playlist for my daughter for listening to like nice, easy indie songs and stuff like this. And most of it was just kind of inoffensive stuff. So obviously, Razor Light was very, very <laughs> much prevalent on it. Just because it's grand, it's in the background, offends no one. So she was about 45 seconds away from being born to a Razor Light song. Because we had music playing as she was born. And it would have broken my heart, <laughs> honestly, if my daughter was born to a Razor Light song. Somehow, it just felt wrong. And I couldn't <laughs> look her in the face. I would, well, would I have to call her Johnny Burrell or something like that for the rest of her life? I don't know. But... Yeah, razor light. Put them in. They existed. They had two songs and then went away. Uh, was it America that she might have been born to, or was it a different razor light song? Can you remember? Uh, it was the one that played just before. Oh, um, stumble and fall. Oh, okay, okay. Great song. Great song. <laughs> uh, See, yeah, it was a good song, but still, born to razor light. I don't want that written in her little baby book. Okay, there's a lot of acts now who just don't deserve us to even talk about them. Really, Towers of London. Yeah. No. No, don't even know. Oh, it was that the knob fella mm. who was on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was on Big Brother. That show. Never mind the buzzcocks. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, something yeah, corporate? Been... I don't remember them at all. Oh, I do. Very <laughs> pop punk. Uh, absolutely have time for them. I will move on for fear of my musical reputation being ruined even further. <laughs> Incubus, who really don't feel like they should be on this list, I don't think. That's way too harsh. Yeah. That's a band. They had one terrible album, but the first two albums are fantastic. That's harsh. Yeah. Yeah. The Horrors are next up. Uh, I love that debut album. Um, and I think that they've gone on to have a really, really interesting career. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you're probably anti-horrors, I'm presuming. Do you know, what? I did hear some of the later stuff because you were talking about it. And I did enjoy the kind of electronic stuff and atmospheric stuff. That was enjoyable. But I hated those that first album of like Sheena's a Parasite and trying to be so hard to be punk and it's like you're all rich boys called Spider Web and all this nonsense <laughs> uh, Milburn Pass The Pigeon Detectives Oh I couldn't name them but I, I remember seeing he had a floppy mop of hair Yeah uh, they're still going Really? Yeah yeah they've played Dublin and Cork I think in the past in the past couple of years maybe not maybe not the past couple of years because of coronavirus but uh the past I, little while i am going to say i bet oh there's going to be a band the kooks are they on this list they are. and they still exist yeah. Like, yeah and they they played like three arena or the olympia or somewhere big they, and i was they did not amazed. one not two but three nights at the olympia that's like almost five thousand people who went to see the kooks that blows my mind yeah. that blows my mind uh anyway twisted wheel i don't remember them Pass. The music who were on MTV2 every hour, every like fifth song, I feel like, yeah. in 2003. 
Yes, very much like uh oh, he had a big curly long head of mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. I'm just remembering hair for most of these back. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of hair. Uh Hadouken. Oh, know the name. I think they were like kind of the indie like like musical metal type nonsense. They they were uh new new rave. You might remember I I went out and bought a yellow hat because uh it felt like this was something that Hadouken would wear. I'll admit that on the podcast. I'm glad you can admit these things on your podcast. Yeah. It's very, very open that you have, that you can admit this. Uh, does it offend you yet? Does this offend you yet? Do you remember them? No? Yeah, in the name, again, I wouldn't, wouldn't, couldn't say like, oh man, I love that song. It's a lot of pretty, for, yeah, it's a lot of pretty forgettable acts in here. Uh, Keen, who just played the Ivy Gardens a couple of weeks ago to like, I don't know how, how big that place is, like 3,000 people maybe? Keen. In fairness, I can see why Keen would still sell that because they were massive for like six mm. years. Like they had tracks or they were like on rotation. They were like Coldplay for a while. They were huge. But still, still terrible. Yeah, still terrible. Uh, the Kooks, Evanescence, who again had one really big song um, and didn't really do anything else. No, because like their biggest song was with your man who was rapping, but he wasn't part of the band. <laughs> ben Moody I want to say so like their biggest selling point of the song wasn't even part of the song for the band for the most part okay we'll do we'll do selected others now um Ting Tings <laughs> ah yeah give us a few songs of that with the rest of the book <laughs> okay Baby Shambles who I actually think are okay I, I quite like Pete Darty. but they only existed because of the name Pete Darty. if they were if you take them away from Pete Darty, they'd be no one would heard of yeah Dirty Pretty Things aka Carl Barat's band Ditto. <laughs> Mumford and Sons. Yeah, I thought I always hated Mumford and Sons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else do we have here? In Me are on here. That was my first gig. Uh, was it my first gig? No, it was your first gig, wasn't it? It was my first gig. Yeah. And we actually went to see them, myself and my wife, because she was a huge In Me fan as well. She was a big fan of the second album which I think is the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> they found the second Dimmy album, but we went to see them in Cork and they seemed like 30 nice blokes and they had songs and stuff. But one of the funniest things they kept saying like, oh man, I know it's late and everyone's got to get trains to get home and everything like that. I was like, Mr. Inmi, you do not know about the Cork public transport system, do you, sir? Uh, the Cortinas? No. The Ordinary Boys? Again, I had huge time with that first album, but again, he became such an absolute wipe that you couldn't listen to any other music. Yeah, and and now I think he's most famous for walking out of that show that you mentioned earlier, Never Mind the Buzzcocks. Yeah. Uh, the Holloways? No. Oh, were the Holloways, were they the ones that we saw a sticker on an album <laughs> of theirs? And it said, the Holloways will be the sound of, I know, what was it, 2006? And it was released in like November 2006. <laughs> and it was very ambitious. So whoever was making that review was kind of like, these guys have got six weeks and they're going to rule it. <laughs> uh, great memory there. That's that's why you're on, you know, uh, just showing off that great memory of yours. Uh, Orson. Oh, yeah. They had a song as well. They were just kind of, yeah. He had a hat. No <laughs> hair, but he had a hat. I think this one is going to hurt, Potty. The Wombats. Do you know what? I like that first album, but Spotify, Spotify is an absolute obsession with the Wombats. Any indie playlist will have at least three new Wombat songs on it. 
And it says, all of them are like, you know, massive acts. And it's like, oh, wombats. And I was like, who is this? Oh, the wombats. I think Spotify and the wombats are in cahoots or something like that. There's some payola scandal going on. <laughs> so I keep hearing them against my will. Uh, test icicles. No, pass. <laughs> that was Dev, Dev Hines' first band. So Dev Hines went on to uh, great things. I quite liked uh, test icicles. He became acoustic and stuff, didn't he? He kind of went away from that yeah, test icicles yeah. sound. Yeah, he's very, he's very yeah. cool now. Very hip now. Um, and White Lies are the last band on the list, who I think are still going as well. White Lies, who were Interpol Jace, who were Joy Division at Jace, who were editors at Jace. Like, they were a poor band. <laughs> They've one good song, though. They've one good song that I to all the time, uh, Bigger Than Us, which is a song that no one likes on the second album, but I do go back to that song every so often. Okay, so I'm glad that uh, I revealed some fashion faux pas thanks to Hadouken, and you've admitted that your Spotify is in an absolute mess at the moment. Mess, an absolute... Like, again... Every so often I'll get a kick or I'm like, right, I'm listening to nothing but new music and interesting bands and that'll happen. And then like three months later, I just like, oh, it's that song, it's that song four or five times, it's another song four or five times. And then all of a sudden my inbox is just full of terrible. The, I look forward to listening to Test Icicles next week. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks for uh, joining on the TPOE podcast party. Anytime that there's like a mid noughties landfill indie kind of story doing the rounds, I'm going to call you up. I absolutely, I will take that. And I like the way you could uh, bring in other just American terrible bands as well. Just anything musically between 2001 and 2007. I'm your guy. Okay, thanks a million to Potty for joining me on The Point of Everything. And now it's the new music segment of the show. What is a music podcast without music? An issue. It's tough to get the right licenses to be allowed to play whatever music you want to play. So we'll stick with new artists and we'll stick with maybe independent artists. So labels aren't coming after me saying, Oi, I never gave you permission to play that song in full. What are you doing? Take down your podcast episode. So thanks First of all, to the three acts who are on this list and who let me play their music. And thanks for sending voice notes as well, introducing all of them. So I'm going to introduce the voice notes and the voice notes are going to introduce the music. Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense. Okay, first up, Jack Dora is from Ireland and living in London at the moment. Hopefully he survived the heat wave. Like buildings going on fire? Talk of spontaneous combustion? Oh dear. Hope all of the London friends uh, survived the heatwave. It, uh, it certainly lived up to expectations. Anyway, Jack Dora released his debut EP, Take What You've Been Given, on July 15. It was mixed by Graham Cooney, a.k.a. Yankee, a.k.a. possibly the best songwriter to come out of Ireland in the last five years, and Jack Ralston. Ralston. Ralston? Ralston. You can get it on jackdora.bandcamp.com and follow him on Twitter at jackjdora and Instagram jack underscore dora underscore. Here he is to talk about the EP and then you're going to hear the title track, Take What You've Been Given. Hey, it's Jack Dora here. I am an artist from Sligo, an indie rock artist, and I just released my debut EP, Take What You've Been Given, last Friday. So the EP kind of moves through all out 80s synth pop, post punk, and classic rock. 
it's a bit of a, a journey of self-discovery kind of through these uh, different characters and, and relationships thematically it is definitely quite linear um, maybe a little <laughs> a little convoluted uh, but as genres go I do think it's quite varied I tried to tie in a lot of different things like definitely moving from like starting off as an 80s synth pop kind of record and then I definitely wanted it to start moving through some quite more fierce uh, genres and you know to mimic what the characters are feeling and what I was trying to say the main single obviously the lead single is Take What You've Been Given but the with releasing the EP itself I'm kind of promoting most of the song Johnny and Susie because that kind of it's kind of the um, the centerpiece of the whole thing and it ties the whole story together and, and, and Johnny and Susie are kind of finally introduced named as the characters who we've been following the whole time so it kind of takes those 80s new wave textures I was working with before and kind of pushes them into a classic rock realm with a little bit of like just kind of psychedelic rock because I like a lot of guitar lines that I didn't use before I I, I basically tried to make that song sound a lot more like like a live band because I do produce all this stuff myself and the song is basically about the death of like the toxic masculine ideal and trying to like purge the male ego um, the EP in general is about like the struggle you have your whole life trying to escape from that toxic masculine small town mentality you have and Johnny and Susie is like the perfect metaphor for that and it also does tie in like a, a mental health thing that, that 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 does come hand in hand with toxic masculinity I think and, and, and what you what the, the bad habits you grow up with um, you know living in somewhere small and a little bit you know closed minded not that it's still like that where I'm from and it sounds like I'm just shitting on where I'm from but I'm definitely not but you know it was just a symptom of the time and place, I guess. I hope you guys enjoy the EP. Thanks to Owen for having me on. Set up, recently set up a band. It was about two months ago. Three months ago, maybe. But uh, I finally kind of decided I'd put a band together to record or to um, to play live. Because I, I was thinking I would, do, uh, I would do solo shows before that. So we played three shows um, and they were pretty, pretty fucking lit, to be honest. It was fantastic. Uh, and they were across London in the Victoria, Finsbury. We're gonna we're playing the Victoria again. Um, we have two more gigs lined up in London over the next couple of months, and then I'm planning on 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 getting a, a gig in London. So hopefully I can get the boys back. Or sorry, do a gig in Dublin. Did I say Dublin? So hopefully get yeah myself and the band back to Ireland for for a gig in Dublin. I'd love to do Roaching Dove in Galway. Um, and yeah, I would obviously love to play Cork as well if if uh, if everyone will have us. So yeah, thanks for having me on, Owen. Um, yeah, big love, guys. Hope you enjoy the tunes.
that was Jack Doyle with Take What You've Been Given. And next up is Costa, C-H-O-F-A-D-A-S-T-A, a.k.a. Connor Kelly, who supported Caribou at Ivy Gardens a couple of weeks ago. He's a down-tempo electronica artist who makes music inspired by his seaside surroundings on the north coast of Dublin. His first single alone came out in late 2020, followed by more tracks and a self-titled EP in July 2021. His new single, Vox, is out today, July 20th, and here he is to talk about it, and then you'll hear it in full. Hey, this is Costa, and you're about to listen to my new single, Vox. So, this track was mostly conceived during the third lockdown after Christmas in 2021, which, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, was a particularly bleak time that never seemed to to end during that period i was watching a lot of nostalgic content particularly on the rte archives Uh, and there was this one particular video that really hit home to me and it was a kind of mini documentary that was done around the moore and henry street markets in the early 80s and for the most part, it was quite wholesome and lighthearted stuff. But there was one segment from this that really hit home, and it was a short interview with a lady who owned a stall on Moore Street. And she was talking about how she was the last of her family to run a business on that in that particular side of the street because... Everyone else had been kicked off the street to make way for new buildings and stuff. And it really made me realize that gentrification and the commercialization of the city has been going on for a lot longer than we kind of perceive it to be. So that is where the this vocal sample of the start comes from. The rest of the track is, uh, like a lot of my tracks, are quite quite melancholy. But the general idea was was conceived around that sample. So for the rest of the summer, I am hopefully going to finish some new music and stop procrastinating on it. I have a couple of really cool collaborations that I am looking to finish as well, which is, are going to be great. I have a couple of gigs in the pipeline that I'm just waiting to get confirmation on. Um, so they'll hopefully be announced soon. I obviously supported Caribou in the Ivy Gardens a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely mental. And the whole evening was incredible. Dan couldn't have been nicer. Watched my whole set from the side of the stage, which was equally intimidating and incredibly cool. But yeah, that was an experience that I'll never forget. I was hoping to sneak onto the bill for a couple of festivals this summer, but no bueno so far. So if there's any festival promoters out there listening, hit me up. I am available, ready, willing, and able. So yeah, book me. Well, there is right enough, but I mean, for this part of Dublin for me is never going to change. And it you means know, a lot to you. This means the world to me. And this is my part of Dublin here, and it's a part I'm never going to give up.
That was Costa with Vox. And finally, Dog Day Afternoon are from Dublin. They released their debut single Foolish a few weeks ago and new single Lust just last week. They played the Sound House in Dublin on Tuesday night and recorded a little voice note for me ahead of the show. Thanks to manager Owen Maxwell for sorting it, putting it together and sending it to me so promptly, so promptly. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram at Dog Day Afternoon Music, all one word. So let's listen to what the band have to say before pressing play on Lust. I'm Mark Maloney, I am the lead singer and I play guitar in Dog Day Afternoon. I'm David McGeary and I play lead guitar for Dog Day Afternoon. I'm Aaron Murray, I play bass guitar for Dog Day Afternoon. My name is Shay Walsh and I play the drums in Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, so we all met up, we were all mates through college and then as soon as we got the band together lockdown happened and during lockdown we were writing away and we wanted to try and just get a good sound together. But the big thing is, now that lockdown is lifted, we just want to play as much gigs as we can and record as much as we can. So we released our second single, Lust, a couple of weeks ago on Spotify and all major streaming platforms, um, straight after our first first single, Foolish, uh, which is more of an indie rock banger. Um, Lust is more of an atmospheric kind of shoegazy um, vibe. Um, has like kind of all these sobbing guitars and soulful harmonies and all that. Um, but I suppose what the song's about, it's more of a lament in a sense, but it doesn't sound like a, a normal lament. It's as far as shoegaze goes. It's a relationship that's now turned spiteful. Yes, we have a few gigs in the pipeline. We're playing the Grand Social on the Thursday, 28th of July. Uh, we're playing Barella on the 6th of August and Fibbers on the 11th of August. So yeah, we're buzzing. It wasn't for these, really excited to get going. Yeah. 
Okay, that's it. That is the new music segment of the show. Hopefully you enjoyed kind of the new-ish feel of the point of everything. Hopefully I'll be able to maintain it. Hopefully uh, I don't just forget about it and go on hiatus after like three episodes. Again, entirely possible. And also, like, I did this when the weather was at its hottest. So I don't know what that says. Maybe it was just me being like, I actually want to stay inside and I need a reason to stay inside while it is boiling hot outside. So, um, yeah. Maybe that's why the podcast is back from hiatus. Uh, thanks to Lara Murphy, thanks to Podio Manny, thanks to Ronan Leonard, and thanks to the three acts as well who sent me voice notes and let me play their new music. We'll be back next week. We'll have more interviews, more new music, more who knows who knows what might even happen. If uh, you want to get in contact with the show, you can email thepointofeverything at gmail.com or slide into my old DMs on Twitter or Instagram. I think that's those are probably the only three places you can find me. And I might not reply because I'm actually terrible at replying. Okay, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 